0: Welcome to Cherry Beckard's Private Client Service Podcast, where we discuss tax, accounting, and business matters impacting your business and personal growth goals to help guide you forward to achieve your financial objectives. I am Mike Kirkman. I'm a partner with Cherry Beckard and I lead our firm's estate, gift, and trust practice. Today with me is Deb Walker, our firm's national leader of comp and benefits, Today, we're discussing incentive plans and how businesses retain and keep talent. Deb, I really appreciate you joining me today, so let's just jump right in on it. So Deb, considering so many industries are experiencing labor needs and shortages, what effective arrangements have you seen that help attract and keep key
1: personnel? So I think the most effective are Performance annual bonuses. And that's beneficial, of course, for management because they're rewarding people who have met specific performance goals and and performance goals that are understood by everybody and then paid out because they've met the performance or not paid out if performance wasn't met. There can also be uh, equity-like goals or equity-like plans or equity plans. But in private industry, we don't see as many equity plans because um, of a desire to control stock ownership. And we all so we see equity-like plans, which is a payment of compensation equal to the growth in equity. That also has some issues with private companies because you have to then value the equity. So I would say performance pay plans are the are the best way to go. So, what are some of the more straightforward
0: ways that business owners incentivize and retain employees that you you've seen over your experience?
1: So I think these uh, performance plans can be annual plans, and they can be longer term incentive plans. So, uh, or a combination of both. Usually. The higher, um, the higher level of the employee, the more likely you are to see long-term plans because you want your executives to focus on long-term growth as opposed to short-term growth. And at the lower levels, you see maybe even um, quarterly plans as to the work that was supposed to have been done during that quarter. And, of course, before you even get to um, salary, we have to – quickly after salary you want to make sure you've got all the right fringe benefits so 401k plans Congress just recently passed some rules regarding starter 401k plans they've increased the credit for starting uh, retirement plans they've made the plans easier to start you can start them after the end of the year so you want to make sure you have the right retirement plan benefits and health benefits even if you don't Uh, Pay for the health benefits if you provide the opportunity to join a group plan, which is usually cheaper than an individual plan, and let the employees reduce their salary on a tax-preferred basis to have that health benefits plan. That's great. Are are there plans, Deb, that
0: allow key employees to own stock or, or an interest in a business like an LLC?
1: Yes, so that's interesting you mentioned an LLC because LLCs are often taxed as partnerships. And at a partnership level, you can grant what's called a profits interest. And a profits interest gives the individual rights to be a partner after certain hurdles have been met. So you're not transferring anything that already exists as value within the partnership you're transferring future value now and in con- in IRS's position is that a profit's interest on the date that it's transferred to the employee has no liquidation value and therefore nothing is taxable it will be taxable as that profit's interest vests and those hurdles have been met and distributions are made if you are in a in an LLC taxed as a partnership and get a profits interest you are required to be treated as a partner even though the allocation for a partner may only be uh, a zero amount you would have your salary reported to you as a guaranteed payment so the moving away well let's stay with a partnership for a while you can get a profits interest that I just explained or you can get a capital interest A capital interest transfers equity in the value of the partnership to you, and that's going to be taxed to you just as if you were transferred stock. So within the corporate arena, you can be transferred stock. You can be transferred an option, which is the right to buy stock at a fixed price for a stated period of time, or you can be transferred a stock appreciation right. A stock appreciation right is the right whenever you want by exercising that right you get the spread between the value of the stock on the date that you exercise and a base amount which is is should be at least equal to the value of the stock on the date that the SAR or stock appreciation right was granted to you so generally when you get any equity whether it's equity because the employer gave you stock whether you exercised an option and got stock, whether um, you get a capital interest in a partnership, you're going to be taxed on the value of that interest that you get minus whatever you pay for it. And the point of taxation is going to be when there is no longer a substantial risk of forfeiture. A substantial risk of forfeiture exists if you have to meet certain performance goals or You have to meet service requirements, such as if you work for me three years, then this stock becomes yours free and clear. Now, if you get something stock, which would otherwise be taxable um, on the value of the stock minus what you pay and it has risk of forfeitures in it, then you get to choose. Do you want to pay tax on the date that you get the stock, even though it's subject to a risk of forfeiture? Or do you want to pay tax when the risk of forfeiture lapses? If you do nothing, you will pay tax when the risk of forfeiture lapses. If you make what's called an 83B election, you will pay tax on the date of transfer. So let me give you an example. Let's say I'm going to transfer shares of stock to you. Today they're worth 10. And I say, but you have to work for me three years before those are yours free and clear. Okay, you decide to make an 83B election, you will pay tax on the value of that stock today, $10. Then your holding period for long term capital gain starts. You have closed the compensation transaction. But let's say you decide, no, I don't know if I'm going to be here three years from now. So I don't want to pay tax on that because I might never get the stock because I might not fulfill my service requirement. So you don't make an 83B election. And three years from now, the stock is worth 25. Then you pay tax on 25, not on 10. So the upside of making an 83B election is if the stock appreciates a lot or appreciates at all, you're going to be able to have long-term capital gain. If you'd made an 83B election, in my example, you would have had $10 of compensation income and $15 of capital gain when you sold the stock. If, you, if it was worth 25. If you didn't make an 83B election, restrictions lapsed, then you would pay tax on 25 ordinary income tax rates. The downside is if you pay tax on the 10 and you end up not working the three years as required or whatever the performance period isn't met, you don't get to give back. You don't get a refund of the tax that you paid. That's just gone. So, Deb, it sounds as if that
0: uh, anybody engaging or an individual having uh, these types of plans as an incentive, they also probably need a really good tax advisor to make important decisions with regard to, you know, future potential capital gains versus ordinary uh, income uh, hitting the individual. That's let me right. ask you. Let me ask you this: What if the business owner doesn't want to issue additional shares, or as you, you know, profits, interest, or anything like that? Are there? You may. I think you mentioned one uh, a plan that that allows an employer to uh, give someone the feeling like they do have stock or. Stock ownership or an interest in the business without actually issuing additional shares or diluting the ownership of the company.
1: That's right. So we call those phantom shares. And basically, a phantom share is you get a promise to pay an amount equal to the value of the stock. But a phantom share, and a phantom share can be almost anything, it could be an amount equal to the value of the stock. Or I could just have a contract arrangement with my employees to say, I'm going to give you the 10% of the profits that we make this year. That would share in in the value of the business, but really not have anything to do, or it would not be a transfer of equity. So you don't transfer ownership, rather you give a share of profits. And that's a that's a deferred compensation arrangement or an annual bonus as a specific percentage of profits.
0: Understood. Yeah. And it seems like a business owner in either of the situations, the, the goal ends up being is to keep key employees and also cause them to, to even work harder to make the business grow so they can share in some of the, uh, the growth of the company over time.
1: Yes. And if you do go with actually transferring stock, remember in a private company you can have a right of first refusal you can have a call option you can have put options put options of course let the employee put the stock back to the company which could potentially put the company in cash bind but all of those features can be built into these plans
0: okay that that sounds great well we we hear a lot of these uh, next couple terms, and can you just provide some clarity on what's the difference between an ISO and an NSO?
1: Okay, so an ISO is an incentive stock option. An NSO, or some people call them NQSOs, is a non-qualified stock option. So an incentive stock option is a is an option. Uh, Which has more tax benefits than a non-qualified stock option, and it has more rules. Um, One of there's limits on the amount that you can that become vested in any one period. Um, That's probably the biggest rule: the hundred thousand dollars can be vested in any one period. The benefit of an ISO is that when that stock is When the option is exercised, there's no compensation income recognized. So remember I said when you get stock, you pay tax on the value of the stock. Well, if you exercise an ISO, that taxation is deferred. You don't pay tax at exercise of an ISO unless you're in an alternative minimum tax situation. But. Then if you hold the stock received on exercise of an ISO for two years after you got the option and one year after you got the stock and exercise it when you were an employee or 90 days after and make those holding period requirements, the one year, two year holding period requirements, then you get capital gains on everything. If you don't meet the holding period requirements then you have ordinary income. It just turns basically into a non-qualified stock option. And a non-qualified stock option is that you pay tax at exercise. And at that point, your capital gain starts running. So an ISO is really a better type of option for employees. Remember, the employer only gets a deduction for what the employees have put into compensation income So for the employer, a non-qualified stock option provides a bigger tax deduction, but generally it's the tax deduction of the individuals and not the employer that drive these options. And since 2004, all non-qualified and incentive stock options have had to have exercise prices equal to the fair market value of the stock on the date the option's granted, or in the case of a non-qualified stock option, Become subject to um, 409 CAP A. 409 CAP A is a penalty tax situation, which most people do anything to avoid. So we don't see many discounted options. ISOs can never be discounted options. So their exercise price is always equal to the fair market value of the stock on the date the option is granted. If, if the ISO has an exercise price less than fair market value of stock of the stock on the date the is granted then that is not an iso it's a non-qualified stock option subject to tax when exercised and well, perhaps deb, subject to 409 cafe
0: well deb that this is a lot of information and and, and i suspect that uh, as as you deal with clients uh that come to you regarding planning in this area, it sounds like there's just a lot of options that a business owner can uh, can put on the table for their key employees. So it's not a one size fits all. So uh, this has been very uh, good information. It's uh, obviously a decision tree that business owners would have to make from the most simplest type of benefit plan or incentive plan to the more complicated uh, arrangements that they put in place, but clearly, Uh, I know you and I both see clients that have a variety of these uh, various things that you've discussed with us today uh, as part of their uh, incentive plans, and I do appreciate you taking the time to give us a little summary of what you're seeing and what's out there, and I want to thank everybody for being on, uh, joining us today, and we hope you found the podcast very beneficial. If you have any questions, Please do not hesitate to reach out to us at cbh.com forward slash PCS, Private Client Services Group, Uh, and please join us on future uh, podcasts, uh, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.